Thank you for doing that. That was for some of you that had a fight on the way to church this morning. This took care of it. So. So here's the deal. Jesus gives us these opportunities. We talked about it last week. A moment where we can find an issue, a situation, a person. And we, and we talked about it last week with our friends who, who are involved in, in, in caring for children and, and those who, one who works at Walmart and one who runs a business, how they change the world because they have an expression of, of caring for people in those places and they see the opportunity and they care for them. And as they care for them, it's really the love of Jesus caring for them and it starts to change the world of the people they connect to. Now, the amazing thing is this. Very often, because, because when Jeff stood... It was, it was a nice thing to hear his voice and hear him say, I care for you. But there are those moments when Jesus says, I want you, 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 you. And he starts down through saying, I want you to say, I care for you. And you discover other people who are saying, I care for you in the same situation, in the same place, with the same people. And suddenly it's not just this one voice crying out, I care for you, but it becomes this mass of voices, as you've heard this morning, saying, I care for you. And what started as a moment of opportunity changes into a movement. And it makes an incredible impact. So I've been introducing you to friends that I have who are changing the world. This morning I want to introduce to you another friend who is changing the world, who found an opportunity to care for children who were neglected and abused. And some other people said, oh, we care, too. And others said, we care, too, until it began to grow throughout the United States and now internationally. To find children neglected and abused, to say, we care for you, and in doing so, they find a love that they had never, ever encountered before. This morning, our guest is someone who's impacted this church and this community because we've joined that movement. And I want you to welcome this morning the founder and the director of Royal Family Kids Cat. Kids Camp, Wayne Tesh. Please welcome him. Come on. Good. Good morning. All, all I can say is that I come from the land of sunshine in California. The sun is shining, but I never expected it to be 22 degrees. You are hardy, hardy, hardy people. Wow. I'm still cold. Your pastor and I are friends. Matter of fact, we're family. We've known each other over 50 years. I can remember when the Reisners would come to the Tesh's household. We would just have a grand and glorious time together. I remember their pet dog, Major. I'm sure you've heard about Major once in a while. He was the only talking dog I ever met. It's amazing what the Reisners were able to do. <clears throat> but I'm here to say to you, on behalf of children, children who are abused, abandoned, and neglected, I'm here to say to you, thank you for what you have done to make a difference in their world. What you have done to provide God's love and grace and mercy to them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because the children may never be able to say thank you as children. But oh, heaven is going to be such a great and grand and glorious place. When we all gather together and we're able to sit down and they'll say, I remember, I remember when you came to me and where I was at that time and how you lifted me up and how you made a difference in my life. So I'm here to say thank you to you. Thank you for helping. Thank you for joining the movement. 
Do you realize that in 1990, when we started this full-time, we, uh, we had three camps going on. Less than a hundred, less than a hundred kids involved in camp. Today, we have 177 camps. We have over 8,000 volunteers. We have over 6,000 kids who, last summer, 6,500 kids who came through camp. And one of the exciting things is that we're in 38 different states. We're in nine foreign countries because the very essence of the seed of the gospel carries with it the DNA for the world. For God so loved the world. And what I thought would just take place here in America has just spread all over the world. Africa, Australia, Singapore. How would you like to spend a vacation, your hard-earned dollars, and you fly to Singapore, and you stay at the Marriott on the third floor of the Marriott in Singapore? Because there's no campgrounds in Singapore. It's a small place. And on the fourth floor, there's a camp called Royal Family Kids Camp. And there's 40 kids above you for the whole week. That's how creative our people are. And when you talk about people, you've got to think of men and women who are willing to give of their time and their vacations. And I think of Dan and Jen Young, some of the finest children's pastors you'll ever find in the, in the land. They're great people with a great heart. And they are just superb. And they, we've known one another now for a decade. And Dan and Jen are just, they care deeply about your children. I go and travel quite a bit around the country in various churches. And one of the things that I so appreciated about this church is that you took time out of your service to pray for the children. Can you imagine what that's going to do in their lives? Prayer is what changes things, and you've done it so well. Well, I grew up in upstate New York, in Rochester, moved to California. And when I went to camp one day, when I was 12 years old, God shared with me a vision of children's faces. That's why children are so important. 12 years old, I saw a vision on a Thursday night down at an altar. A vision of children's faces, blacks, Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian faces. And I said, okay, God, I will work for children. Which was kind of nice when you're 12 years old. My mom came and picked me up on that Saturday and said, Wayne, what happened? I said, Mom, you won't believe it, but God's called me into the ministry. I have to go to California to make it happen, and I'm going to work with kids. She said, okay. That's fine. When I was 24, I had graduated from Evangel University with a double major, majoring in biblical studies and physical education. I thought I was going to teach the Eskimos how to play basketball. I was clueless as to what was going to take place. But we started, I was sitting in my office, and I said, Dear God, I've never been a minister before, and here I am at this church. And as I sat down, I noticed that my eight-foot folding table as a desk and a folding chair as my desk chair, I said, help me. What am I supposed to do? And on the back of the wall, I saw that collage of children's faces, blacks, Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian faces. He said, start a camp. I said, my background, 
I can do that. I mean, I found God a camp, or God found me a camp, and however that is, I know that I can create an environment where other children can find God. And I said, I can do that. So we started running camps. Ten weeks during the summer, day camp, water ski camp, mong camp, junior high camps during day camp. We just were one camping group. Then I turned 36, and there was a lady that came up to me and said, Pastor Tesh, uh, tell me, um, what are you doing for abused children in Orange County? I said, I don't know. I, I didn't know. How many are there? She said there were 10,500 reported cases of abused children in Orange County last year. I go, oh my goodness. See, I grew up in a family where I was deeply loved and cared for. My mom and dad loved me. They prayed over me. I have a brother that's developmentally disabled that I can remember my dad, Jack, that when I was a young boy at five, and I found when we found out that Gary was mentally retarded, I was five, six years old, my dad came to me, and I'm sitting on the steps in East Rochester. And dad said to me, Son, of all the families that God could have picked, he picked our family so that Gary would understand what love and compassion is all about. I don't know if those were the exact words, but that's what I got out of it. Of all the families that God could pick, He picked the Tesh family. And I said, okay, I'll take care of my brother. And that's what I did. I just loved on my brother. I grew up in a home where my mom and dad prayed for me and uh, married long time, you know, just enjoyed life. My wife and I, we've been married 82 years. <laughs> 41 for her and 41 for me. And, you know, we're, we're pretty happy about that, I want you to know. And so I grew up in a great environment. And um, I said, when I, I couldn't imagine kids having a difficult time. And I said, okay. I said, we'll start a camp. And that first year, there were 37 children that came. 37. And um, it was a Thursday night. And they all sat right in the middle section. And I just was overwhelmed as I came out because I saw the children. There were blacks, Asian, Caucasian, Asian children. They were all right there. And I go, wow. And God spoke to me and said, this is what I prepared you for. I was 36. When I was 42, we left the church. The church launched us to become missionaries to abuse children in this land. And we went around raising support and getting churches. And your church is one of those who cares deeply about the children in your community. And it's so obvious. So... We, we started. And when I went home that day, that, that week, I was amazed at what happened. I sat in my living room and I cried. And I cried. Diane thought I was going through a nervous breakdown. She goes, what happened? I said, God called us to do something great. And that is to work with abused, abandoned, and neglected children. 
And I, we're just working with 37 of them. And there's over a million that have reported cases of child abuse. In 1985, there were over a million. Today, there's 3.6 million reported cases of child abuse in America. And I go, we were only taking 37. And I just felt this huge, overwhelming sense. Is that enough? Can't we do more? Isn't there something else we could do? And that's when I went in my pastor's office. And he sat me down and he said, do not, do not despise small beginnings, Wayne. God who calls you to do something, He'll do something incredible through you. Just understand, God is with you. He will fulfill that dream in your life. Well, needless to say, things have happened since then. So I travel around the country and I speak to have other men and women join the movement of helping abused, abandoned, and neglected children. Statistics tell us that one out of every three women and one out of every six to seven men have abuse in their background, whether that's physical, emotional, sexual, or just plain neglect. That's overwhelming. One out of three women, one out of six to seven men. And I ask you, when was the last time you ever heard a sermon on child abuse? Most people don't talk about that. What they like to talk about is maybe the war within the womb on abortion. Maybe... Uh, alcoholism and how, how that just, just causes dysfunction within a family. Many times they like to talk about adultery and the ripping of relationships that happen, but very few times do they ever begin to discuss the issues of child abuse. Jesus had a lot to say about that. He said, if you harm a little child or cause a little one to sin, better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you're cast in the depths of the sea. I'll tell you, my next life, Diane and I, we're going to start a new ministry. We're going to call it Millstone Ministry. You have a size 18 neck. We've got a millstone that will fit you. We'll take you out. We'll baptize you in Lake Erie forever. We can get into that. We can get into that. So that's our passion. That's our heart. Since the beginning of Royal Family, we've had 52,000 children and over 60,000 adults who have given a week of their time to make a difference in children's lives. And you're one of those. And I just want to say thank you. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This is a favorite passage of mine. I just love it. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, Lord, the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. 
And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. Imagine with me, there was a paralytic in a house, and there's a knock at the door. And a voice comes from within that says, Come on in! And the four guys open the door, walk in, and they look at their friend who is lying on a stretcher. And they say, guess what? Jesus is in town. And where Jesus is, great things begin to happen. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, and we're going to take you to Jesus. So they pick him up, and they walk down those narrow streets of Capernaum, and they come to the house where Jesus is teaching, and it's packed with people. And they said, oh my goodness, now pastor, this isn't a scripture, but they probably set him down, and they probably had a little holy huddle, and they said, what are we going to do? We can't get in. So one of them came up with this great idea, why don't we go up on the roof? And they come back and they announce to the paralytic, guess what? We're going to take you up to the roof. And he probably goes, the rough, I've never been there before. Don't worry, we've got everything under control. So they go up on, on the roof, go up those stairs. What I love about coming back to the East Coast is that you have the opportunity to have second stories on your houses. And you know what it's like to take a mattress to the second floor bedroom. Could you imagine putting a person on it and walking them up those stairs? This poor paralytic, it was a white-knuckle ride for him. He's just hanging on for dear life as they're going up those steps. And as they get up on the roof, they say, now what are we going to do? They probably put him down again. They hit a little holy huddle. What are we going to do now? He's up on the roof. And one of them came up with this great idea, and they said, guess what? Why don't we just dig a hole in the roof, and, and we'll just let him come down? They say, guess, guess what? My dear friend, we love you so much, we're going to drop you close to where Jesus is. So there's Jesus. He's preaching the Word. He's sharing about the Father. And pretty soon dust begins to descend on Jesus' head like snow. Pretty soon some great big dirt clogs begin to fall. And Jesus being Jesus, He moves because He's not going to get hit by the big ones. And they're falling all around Him, you know. He knows what's going on. Everybody's looking up at the roof. But Jesus... He knew exactly what's going on because he has everything under control. And he's up there. The guys are up there. And they're coming down and their hands are coming through the roof. And, you know, it's causing a mess. And people are saying, man, oh, look what's going on. And I've often wondered, and this isn't in Scripture either, Pastor. But I've often wondered, how big of a hole do you make in a roof to let a man come through? Does he come down vertically? Does he come down horizontally? They could have just dropped him. He was going to be healed anyways, but they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know that at the time. They didn't know. So all of a sudden, they lowered the man down, the man on the stretcher down, and the gaze of Christ just penetrated his heart. 
Because when you walk into the presence of Jesus, something begins to take place in your spirit. You go, oh, wow, something's going to happen here. And Jesus looks at him and he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. But that you, Pharisees, but that you may know that I'm the Son of Man, I say unto you, arise. Arise from your past. Arise from your pain. Arise from your mindset that's so paralyzed that you cannot comprehend or understand who Jesus is. Arise. And there this man all of a sudden begins. His new blood begins to flow through his extremities, begins to stand up and say, Wow, Ooh, I can stand. Something took place in that moment. The searchlight of the Spirit of God touched his heart and something took place. The chains that held him and bound him through the years of his life were broken. And you know, one of the things that happens with children who grow up in an abusive environment, children who are thrown up against walls and locked in closets and hide under their beds in fear and whose nightmares are real, Children who have been beaten by two-by-fours, whipped with bicycle chains, and burned with cigarette butts. Those children, many times, all the time they grow up as adults. And what happens is that they get, they, they just get stuck in a place. They just get stuck in that place of their past abuse. It's like driving the Buffalo on I-90. If I'm driving east and I'm, I'm just enjoying the ride, and if I'm looking in my rearview mirror, my side view mirrors as to where I am all the time, what's going to happen if I'm looking in my rearview mirror to see where I've been? I'm going to crash. And that's what happens to many people who come from backgrounds of abuse. They get stuck in their past. And Jesus comes at that moment and says, My son, your sins are forgiven. Arise. Arise. And he's saying that if you come from a background of abuse today. He's coming to you again with that incredible heart and compassion. He's saying to each of you, I care about you. It wasn't your fault. People are just messed up. Don't worry about it. I love you. I'll take care of you. I want you to be whole. Because he wants you not to look in your rearview mirror all the time. He wants you to look at the plans that He has for you. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans for good, not evil. Plans that will give you a hope and a future. That's the God that we serve. That's the Christ that comes into our lives that sets us free and cuts the chains of bondage so that we can become new creatures in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus does. That's His job description. Let him do it to you if you've come from this background. And I imagine that this man, back to the story, stands up. I've often wondered, this isn't in Scripture either, Pastor, but I've often wondered, if you were one of the four people up on the roof, and you're looking down, and you just saw your friend stand up, what would you do? I know what I'd do. I'd jump through the hole in the roof. I would come down and I would just hug my friend because when you experience a miracle, 
When you see something take place, it changes your perspective in your life forever. It's like an artesian well. You can't put a cap on it. It just keeps bubbling up all the time. And that's what took place. I can imagine this man just hugging his friend. And then they probably go up to Jesus and give him a high five. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. Now, what? this is in Scripture, Pastor. The people that did not let him come in, all of a sudden parted. So there was room there someplace. As he picked up the stretcher, and I imagine he had a little New York strut, and he just walked on out. That's in Scripture. Because he's, in, he's healed. Now this isn't in Scripture, but I've often wondered. And I'm sure many of you probably wondered this too. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you have. Who fixed the hole in the roof? I've often wondered that. I, I imagine the next day there was a knock at the door. And instead of a voice, there's a man that opens up that door. And instead of four men carrying a stretcher down those narrow streets of Capernaum, there's now five and they're carrying their tool kits. And instead of four men that walk up those stairs, there's now five that ascend those steps. And there with fresh mud and palm fronds, they write in the mud. And this one person that was healed by Jesus put his finger in the mud and probably said, I came through the roof, was healed by Jesus, signed his name, put the date, and someday some archaeologists just may find it. Folks, there are 3.6 million reported cases of child abuse and each child is lying on a stretcher. And they need the church of Jesus Christ to grab a handle. They need men and women and teenagers to just carry them to Jesus. Because there's no other place to go where you can have someone touch your mind and renew your mind and restore your heart. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus can set you free from your past. Jesus can give you purpose in life. He can make a difference where out of your pain, it now becomes a source of ministry that you're able to communicate that you are healed and that Jesus has set you free. One thing about lying on the stretcher, one thing that I know about lying on the stretcher is that it's not just kids, 3.6 million kids, it's not just the kids that are lying on the stretcher. But you and I someday will be lying on that stretcher. Whether it's death, divorce, discouragement, drugs, depression, disease. We will eventually be lying on that stretcher. And the people that stood up and you prayed for, those are the people that will be your stretcher bearers. That's what a church is. It's out of relationship that you care one for another. And you call their names before God the Father on behalf of whatever your friend's name is or family member. That's the way it works. Someday we'll all be lying on the stretcher. That's why we need to be stretcher bearers because you and I both know someday we're going to be on the stretcher. And we need to have God's people that we know and we care for and love that will carry us to Jesus. Well, one of the things that I love about Royal Family is that I learned so much from children. Children are great teachers. I'll never forget this one little boy that said, Pastor Tess, me and Jesus, we've got a lot in common. 
I don't know. He's like nine years old. I never heard anybody ever say that before from a kid. Me and Jesus, we've got a lot in common. I said, you do? What's that? He said, we both have foster dads by the name of Joseph. I go, whoa, that's profound. You see, when you grow up in a home where you're happily married and things go well, you don't think of other people many times. And as I started, that, that little kid started me on a Bible study to find out how many of the heroes of the faith grew up in homes where there was a mom and a dad. Heroes of the faith. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. We believe in that. That's the model. But then there's also God's model of raising up people. Moses wasn't raised by his mom and dad. Now his mom was involved in it, but he grew up in a palace. You look at Joseph. He wasn't very well liked. He grew up a lot of his life away from his family and estranged from his family. You look at Samuel. Uh, he grew up in Eli's house. You talk about a loser of a priest. Oh, my goodness. And then those two teenage sons that caused all sorts of havoc among the people. Uh, they, they were pathetic people. But yet, the God I serve always gives us chances to overcome our past to be able to make good out of that. And Samuel grew up in Eli's house and heard the voice of God and was an incredible prophet. You look at Deborah, who came to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you begin to see there's a thread being woven throughout Scripture of men and women who grew up in a home other than their parents. But they grew up in God's family. And a church is God's family. A church cares one for another. So that is what this is all about. Part of God's family reaching out, making a difference in abused children's lives. I'll never forget 1985, I received a phone call from the head of the psychiatric ward in Orange County, California. He said, Pastor Tesh, I understand that you are um, you, you're doing a camp for abused children. And I have um, a seven-year-old that has attempted suicide three times and is in a lockdown facility in a little cell, padded cell, because we don't know what to do with him. And he's seven years old, and what he really needs is to have the sun on his face. and He needs to be outside. and He needs to be not thinking about what has happened, but get beyond that. And Camp would be great. Could you send him? Could you take him to camp? I said, of course. We'd be more than happy to do that. Uh, tell me a story. He said, well, in December, he was singing Christmas carols at a retirement home. And an evil man took him, enticed this little boy to come in to his room. And there, for the next 45 minutes, did all sorts of horrific, horrendous deeds to him. When he was finished... He opened up his window on the first floor and threw this little seven-year-old boy out into the garden area. And there, his Sunday school teacher found him. 
so traumatized he could not cry. Bloody, broken, bruised little boy. They took him to the emergency room and from December until June he had attempted suicide three times. He came to camp that year. It was just a difficult time. We, we had 24-hour supervision so that he wouldn't run away or, or run out in the woods or any of that. So um, one of the things that he would say to me, he would say, Pastor Tash, could you check the restroom? This every morning, I go into the restroom, I check, I come out, say, it's okay. He said, could you stand guard so no one else could come in? And I would stand guard. And Jonathan would use the restroom all by himself. He never took a shower. He was highly medicated. We wondered if anything was happening, you know. I would visit him periodically throughout the year. And I'll never forget two, three years later, his mom pulls in our church parking lot. And there I see Jonathan open up the door and he comes running my way. I said, Jonathan, Jonathan, it's so good to see you. I get down on one knee and I just embrace him and I put him back and I looked into his eyes and I said, Jonathan, something has happened. Your eyes are dancing. There's a smile on your face. What's happened? And this little nine-year-old kid said to me, he said, Pastor Tesh, you know the man that did all those bad things to me? I said, yeah. He said, well, I've forgiven him. I'm on my knees out on a sidewalk outside church. And God spoke to me. He'll speak to us at some of the oddest places and some of the unusual comments that take place. And this little nine-year-old boy said, I forgive them. I don't understand it. I don't comprehend it at times. But if you've come from a background of abuse, I'm sure that you're waiting for the perpetrator to come to you and say, I'm sorry. And that's usually not, is not the way it works. It doesn't seem right, but this is Jesus' way. Jesus was the model, and we referred to it earlier today when He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even if they knew what they were doing. When you begin to forgive your heart begins to be open to what God wants you to do. And you are on that process of healing. Forgiveness is the first step of healing in an abusive relationship. Well, from there, we went to camp. And a couple of years later, we came back. Um, we say we take children 7 to 11 to camp. Uh, we say they have a divine appointment from heaven. It just seems to be a whole lot better than when we say nothing really rhymes well with 6 to 12. So we say 7 to 11, a divine appointment from heaven. And we take 12-year-olds. Because if we said 6 to 12, we'd have to take 13-year-olds. You know what that's like. You know what that's like. So we say 7 to 11, we take 12-year-olds. He came back when he was 12 years old and he said to his counselor, he said, or Dan, his counselor, said to Jonathan, Jonathan, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
And Jonathan said, I want to make lots of money. You want to make lots of money? Well, that's unusual. What are you going to do with all the money you make? He said, I want to buy Royal Family Kids Camps. You want to buy Royal Family Kids Camps? Why is that? So that other children can find love like I found love. There in the Cathedral of the Outdoors, surrounded by God's people, the Church of Jesus Christ demonstrates love to hurting kids. People say, Wayne, it's only a week. Does a week make a difference? And I say, it's not about a week in the economy of God. Most of us like to think of a week, a month, a year, a decade. But Jesus thinks in moments. In a moment, something happens. When heaven connects with the heart of a child, that child is changed forever in that moment. And when you're with these incredible people, these children, you learn from them. You learn from them. I'll never forget one little boy that came up to Grandpa at camp. Every camp has a grandpa and a grandma and an aunt and an uncle. My daughter says, Wayne, wait, Dad, she calls me Dad, not Wayne. My daughter says, hey, Dad, I know why you did that. That's so that when you get old, you'll always have a place to retire. You can always be a grandpa and a grandma. So, yeah, probably even a great-grandpa and grandma. You know, I plan to be in this till I die. My father-in-law is 90 years old, and he still goes to camp. He is the one that collects bottles in their retirement village and donates them to royal family. He has all the ladies and men work on putting together kits so that kids can build them in, in uh, the wood working area. He's known as Great Grandpa. 90 years old, he's been doing it. For 19 years. Because he said, this is what I'm going to do until I die. We thought he was getting kind of old. This little sidebar. We thought he was getting kind of old. So we had the camp director sit down with him, tell him he was, you know, it probably wouldn't be best if he comes back to camp. Because we didn't want anything to happen to him and cause some disruption to the kids and all that. And maybe it would be best if he didn't come to camp. I'll never forget him sitting in the booth, drinking his coffee, puts his coffee down. He looks up and he says, I might as well just die then. It's over if I can't go to camp. He works all year for that one week up at camp. Ninety years old, they collected over $3,000 in the retirement village to send kids to camp. What do you say? the people who catch it. So we always have a grandpa and grandma or a great-grandpa and great-grandpa. We have one set of grandparents. Uh, he's um, 80 or 85 years old and his two sons in the 50s are counselors. <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. And uh, so, it, it, you know, there's always a place to serve in God's kingdom. I, I always believe that. There's always a place to serve in the kingdom of God. So... Um, this one little boy comes up to Grandpa and says, Grandpa, how much are you getting paid to be here? And Grandpa goes, how much are you getting paid? What, what, what's that about? Well, why, why would you ask that? And this little boy, age eight, nine, put it in perspective. He says, Grandpa, everybody who says they love me gets paid. 
Everybody who says they love me gets paid. How much are they paying you? And you begin to look at it. Foster parents get paid, to which I say, not enough. But it's something. And in the mind of a child, what that means, their counselor gets paid, their social worker gets paid, their teacher at school gets paid. Where is it somewhere in their life that somebody says, I care about you, I love you, and they don't get paid? That's where the Church of Jesus Christ has an incredible message to proclaim. To be able to make a difference. Psalm 40 says it best. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the mud, out of the mire. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings and He put within my heart a new song to sing. When you spend a week of your vacation and invest it into the poor and the needy, the orphans of our land, God will bless you. He'll give you a new purpose and a new heart. He'll change your attitude because these kids come to you and your attitudes will be changed because these are precious children in the sight of God. So I stand before you this morning and I say thank you for what you're doing. We believe that over the next 20 to 30 years, Royal Family will be the instrument that will provide healing and respite for one week for 150,000 children in, a, in the foster care system. We believe that we will literally, God's people will change the face of foster care because we do it because Jesus has sent us there. So what I say to you this morning, grab a handle. Find a place that you can be involved in changing the world in which you live. Let those dreams rise up within your heart and never give up on the dream. It took 24 years for the dream to become a reality in my life. And then that's when we started. It's not going to happen overnight. God wants to work through you and in you to be able to develop the qualities and the gifts that He has for you so that you can develop Men and women that will change the world. Their world. And when they change their world, they change other children's worlds as well. So, God bless you. And I'd like to just have a word of prayer with you. Father, I pray that you'll raise up stretcher bearers. Men and women who'll take care of others. We say we care about you. We care about each other. Lord, let that be now action not just words. And may relationships be built so that lives can be changed. And Lord, begin that with each of us. Begin that with me. Lord, we pray for children. The children who have a difficult time over weekends. Weekends are so difficult for kids. Lord, I pray that You'll help us see with the eyes that You see so that we're able to minister health and healing and love and compassion and care to children that come across our path this week. Let us have a God moment. Something that we know that it's your moment, our time, where you brought things together for such a time as this. Let this happen this week within this community, Lord, I pray, with these, your people, who care so very much about doing 
your work and your service. Continue to bless them to be a blessing in all they do. In Christ's name, amen.